Let's see what we have here. So we've been going through the seven churches of Revelation. We've covered a bunch of them up to now. Um, We are looking at church number five here, which is Sardis. You can kind of see the progression there. Um, It is in modern day Turkey. Back then it was a part of the the province of Asia and the Roman Empire. Um, But uh, so we've marched through those. Next week, uh, Tim Cavanaugh will be speaking here on the church in Philadelphia. And then Greg will wrap up the series with um, the church in in Laodicea. And and then I think we're going to have a barbecue at the end of the month here as well. So that's the the next couple weeks. Um, Let's see. We could, I think we can go ahead and read this just chapter together here real quick. Do I have the right passage there? Yeah, let me see here. Here, just, um, you know, here's a few pictures of, of modern-day Sardis. It has some ruins of the ancient city there. Um, the city was, back then, was uh, surrounded by cliffs, and they built up walls, and it was a city that was kind of hard to get to. It was considered by many to be unconquerable until it got conquered. Um, but uh, here's some, other, some more pictures of that as well, and some of the... Walls that remain due to weathering and earthquakes and things, much of the ruins are, are not left anymore. And the city itself is actually now in the valley. Um, this is the city, you know, it's called Lower Sardis here. But um, these are just some of the pictures here. But Sardis, I'll just read you a little about Sardis here. Um, actually, we can read the passage and then we'll, um, we'll read a little bit about Sardis here. Um, let's just read verses... Um, one through six together. I think I have, a, have it on the overhead. You know, we'll look at this again. And here we go. We'll just read these verses together. I got it on the overhead here as well. So um, anyways, um, to, the church, uh, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. And if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy." He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're going to just look at this a couple verses at a time and really... uh, Boy, we're not even going to get to extract all the, the different applications that we can here. But just to give you a little background, historical background on the city of Sardis to the church in Sardis. Um, here's a few things. It says, um, Sardis was well, uh, a city well known for its softness and luxury. It had a well-deserved reputation for apathy and immorality. In Sardis, uh, there was a large temple to the mother goddess Sibel. And uh, ruins of that temple, we can see columns were 60 feet high and 6 feet in diameter. And uh, she was worshipped with all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity. Goes on to say, this softness, uh, this lack of discipline and dedication was the doom of Sardis on several different occasions. The Greek historian Herodotus tells us, that, um, tells us the story of the fall of Sardis in the days of Cyrus. King Cyrus had come to Sardis and found the position of the city ideally suited for defense. 
There seemed to be no way to scale the steep cliff walls that surrounded the city. He offered a rich reward to any soldier in his army who could figure out a way to get up to the city. One soldier studied the problem carefully. As he looked, he saw a soldier defending Sardis drop his helmet down from the cliff walls. He watched as the soldier climbed down a hidden trail to recover his helmet. He marked the location of the trail and led a detachment of troops up to it that night. When he scaled the cliffs and came to the actual city walls, they found them unguarded. The soldiers of Sardis were so confident in the natural defenses of their city, they felt no need to keep a diligent watch. So the city was easily conquered. Curiously, the same thing happened almost 200 years later when Antiochus attacked and conquered the overconfident city that didn't set a watch. So, uh, you know, just some interesting things about Sardis here, but it was known for being uh, loose moral living, apathy, um, kind of trying to soak in the the things of this world. It it was known as also being kind of overconfident and and careless about protecting itself and was sacked several times there. fairly easily. And so, um, but some would say, many Bible scholars would say that the historical background of Sardis would relate a lot to the, um, the spiritual condition of the church that Jesus wrote this letter to. And, and he goes on in this letter here to say, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Um, you know, just a quick thought on that. The seven stars we talked about last time represent seven angels that were uh, kind of messengers or, or writing to those would really represent speaking to the entire church. The seven spirits of God, you know, um, other translations would say the sevenfold spirit of God. You know, it's the idea that um, I think Isaiah 11 talks about, you know, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, spirit of power, um, seven facets of of the Holy Spirit. Some would say seven represents the, the number for perfection or completion. And so really he was saying to him who holds, um, holds all of the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and holds the, the messengers of the churches in his hands, I want to tell you something here. He wanted to draw that out about, about those facets. And, uh, and he goes on to say, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And just a couple things to think about. There are really two errors to avoid that I see here. Uh, lessons we can learn, but one is this. Uh, they had a, a reputation that, that far exceeded their reality. They had a reputation that was in sharp contrast with their reality. Maybe it was on purpose, maybe it was not, but what they were known for was not who they really were. And we have to watch out for that error in our own lives and, and in our own church. They were known for being alive, and, and yet, in God's perspective, they were basically close to death, near death in a desperate condition, uh, that Message Bible says about this. And um, when I think of our church, you know, we, we want to be careful. We want to watch for things. The Firehouse Church, I don't know if you, you realize what this symbol means to a lot of people. Do you know what the flame symbol represents in, in much of Christianity? Anyone? What's that? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in some places, that those flame symbols will, will represent a Pentecostal church. Alive and flowing with the Holy Spirit. You know, they're messing, doing snake bite things. They're doing all sorts of stuff. But uh, the, the flames are, are symbolic of the Holy Spirit being alive and active. And it's our symbol. And we, um, we upgraded from, from the one we stole from the flammable symbol that, uh, you know, that represented flammable. Um, but... But we want to be careful, you know, being known for the firehouse church and meeting in what looks like a fire station and kind of this whole thing about, wow, the Holy Spirit must be active there. 
The very danger we would have is that our reputation of of being a spirit-filled church with spirit-filled believers could be in sharp contrast with the reality. Is the supernatural life going on in your life and in mine? Because if it's not, it's not going on in this church, whether we have a reputation or not. And we just have to be careful for, for having a reputation that exceeds, you know, I, I think of some of those old movies where, you know, it's kind of the medieval times and, you know, someone will show up to an event and they'll say, you know, Chancellor, your, repu- your reputation precedes you. You know, he's like, ah, of course it does, you know. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I think we have to be aware of the danger of uh, brother and sister, your reputation exceeds you. You're known for more than what you really are. Our church could be known for more than what it really is. And, and there's two ways to go about fixing that problem. We can either uh, lower the bar and go, you know, my reality, let's just, let's just be known for being lower than we should. Let's just kind of be known for wallowing in the mud as a Christian. And, or, or we can raise the bar and raise the reality up into what a good reputation should be and, and what we should be having. And, and I don't know what you think God would have, have us do or have you do. Lower the bar or, or raise the bar. Um, any thoughts on that? I'm going to raise the bar. Uh, that, that's probably the way to go. You know, now, there is times where, you, you, you know, those two have to come together. I remember a time where I was leading a small group for a while back in my college days in Fort Collins. And uh, my co-leader was this gal that um, she, she and I had led a thriving small group. And a lot of good things were happening. But over the course of time, it, it became apparent or, or she just kind of decided, you know what, I've got this reputation and I've got this reality. And the reality was she had not read her Bible and had a, a meaningful connection with the Lord for many years. And she was going through the motions of, of doing the thing a leader's supposed to do. And she could talk the talk. She, she said, um, you know, in hindsight, looking back on those days, she said she would share thoughts that she got back at her junior high camp that she went as a kid. She's sharing that in her, in her world. And, and eventually she decided... God wanted to bring those two worlds together, and she got honest, and, and her reputation, you know, it, it lowered a little bit, but at the same time, her reality met her reputation. She went on to recover and, and grow spiritually and things like that, but you and I have got to watch out for a reputation, whether it's on purpose or, or we're not conscious of it, we've got to make sure that those two are going hand in hand, because otherwise... God will, you know, bring it out here. Now, they had two problems. One was this reputation that was far beyond where they at. The other problem was that, uh, oh, the reality was Jesus said, hey, you guys are about dead, you know. The reality was really bad as well. And that's what he speaks to, not only the reputation, but the reality here. And, um, you know, I, I think, again, the Message Bible in this passage just says they were in a desperate condition. You know, it's not dead like uh, they're not Christian or anything. He's speaking to a Christian church but dead as in lifeless, lacking the life of the Holy Spirit there, uh, an apathetic church, really. And so um, that's, that's what he addressed here. We'll keep um, looking on here. Let's see. So the next verse he really gives us, the uh, I would say the, the problem is that they're basically lifeless. They're dead. I think about them as maybe um, uh, sleepwalking, you know. Um, we'll see if we've got sleepwalking. Yep. No, really, uh, he tells them, you guys need to wake up. You need to strengthen what remains and is about to die. I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. You know, he wasn't saying you're dead physically or you're dead spiritually, but he was saying it's kind of like you're, you're lifeless. And, um, you know, I've heard someone write the difference between some being resuscitated and, and revived. Do you know the difference between resuscitation and, and being revived? You know, if anyone knows, was it CPR? 
cardiopulmonary resuscitation, but it's when someone is not alive, when they have died, when their heart has stopped, things have stopped, and you bring them back to life. Uh, but reviving someone is when they are alive, when they, their, their vitals are working, their heart is pumping, their lungs are breathing, and yet they're not conscious of the reality around them. And, and what Jesus is saying to this church here is, it's not like they're dead, they need to be born again spiritually. They wouldn't be a, a Christian church that was getting a letter from Jesus if that were the case. But they needed to wake up. And it's like they were sleepwalking. I, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced sleepwalking before. Any sleepwalkers here? Start the Firehouse Sleepwalking Club. Uh, I, I, could, I could head that up. Um, no, I, I sleepwalk a lot less since I got married. And since my wife, you know, Velcros me to my bed there, um, uh, it's, it's gotten a lot better. But um, no, I, I used to sleepwalk all the time. You know, I would just, uh, a lot of times when I was sick or had a fever, I would just kind of have these dreams. And it's like whatever keeps your body still uh, while you're dreaming, there's a chemical that your body makes. But mine evidently wasn't doing that so well. And so I would start acting out my dream and just walking around the house. And, you know, it'd be a little bit of reality because, you know, I would see something in the house and I'd go, okay, here's the TV. And, you know, why is the TV shooting missiles at me? I don't know. But there's the TV. Um, but, you know, I remember one time as a kid, I stayed the night with a friend in junior high, and I ended up sleepwalking all the way home. Uh, I wasn't feeling good. We had watched some scary things on TV. You know, the, the music video Thriller had just come out, and I watched it as a kid and freaked me out. And so I ended up sleepwalking home. I show up at the door of my house, knocking on the front door, and my mom comes to the door, and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and she invites me home, and I go to bed in my bed. And my friend the next day was kind of like, what happened? Um, I slept, walk home. But, you know, there's a, there is a life there, but it's a life that's disconnected with reality. And I think when it comes to, to spiritually speaking, um, I think that happens when we, we live in this world. Our bodies are physically here. There's some realities in the here and now that are true. And yet when it relates to eternity, there's some realities that are a bigger deal. Um, there's some realities that will be true forever and have been true forever. And sometimes we just live in this short-sighted, here and now, sleepwalking world. We're Christians, we're headed to heaven, we're just doing the next thing, not connected with the reality. The reality of eternal flames. You know, sometimes we talk about that. Uh, we're trying to rescue people from eternal flames. But I, I don't know about you, sometimes I could tell that to someone, and you know, that's part of the Firehouse Church, we're on a rescue mission. But it's almost like, you know, eternal flames, like you heard of those, right? I know it's a little embarrassing to talk about eternity here, but, um, but I think we can find ourselves not living in light of eternity and, and the reality of eternity. And I think Jesus was saying, hey guys, wake up, wake up. And the, the prescription that he gives here is, um, you know, we could say, wake up. We all go, okay, let's wake up, catch you next week. But he gives them um, some more details of, of how to wake up. It's kind of like, you know, uh, knowing the cure, I recently this week, I went into Walgreens clinic to uh, figure out I had this cold and it came back with a vengeance and I got green boogers and things like that. And, um, but anyways, I, I figured, you know what, I think I have a sinus infection and the cure is antibiotics, right? Okay, there we go. Catch you next week. I hope you're feeling better. Um, but no, I had to go to the doctor. They checked me out. They looked in my nose. It was funny. One of those things where the doctor shines a light up my nose, and she's kind of like, whoa. And then I'm like, uh, she's like, yeah, you have a sinus infection. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty good one. And uh, anyways, they prescribed me the, the antidote, some sort of antibiotics, and got that rolling. And I'm hopefully doing better here. But, um, but you know, Jesus gives a, a more specific prescription here to wake up. Here's how we wake up. We're going to look at these... Um, 
just real quickly, and we will call it a morning here. But um, you know, it says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not found your deeds complete. And he goes on and basically prescribes, here's how you wake up, church. Here's how you wake up, people, brothers and sisters, rich. Um, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard and obey it and repent. He goes on to give a warning. And if you don't wake up, you know, there's some problems that come with that. But what does this mean? We just look at this real quickly. And you know, I love how the Message Bible puts this passage here. I'll just read that. It says, um, up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet, but I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. Think of the gift you once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. You know, it was a, a message and really the, the thing we need to catch here, the thing that I think Jesus wants us to know is, is we need to be revived. I, I think there's probably a little bit of sleepwalking going on in our church and in our lives. Each one of us can kind of assess, well, how connected, how living in light of eternity am I doing? Um, I think we can each figure that out, but we need to be revived. And I would say we need to be revived by the gospel. He says, remember what you received and what you heard. What, what was he talking about? You know, I love that the message says, uh, remember the message you heard. In the Message Bible, anytime it says the message in capital letters, guess what that means? Anyone, anyone? The gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Obey it and repent. And, and so we need to be revived. We need to go back to the gospel. But, you know, what does that mean? I think there's some confusion. And this is what I think we'll catch this morning here and, and let you go chew on this, go wrestle with this. But, you know... Um, the essence of, of the gospel is a message of grace. And how do you obey the gospel? Well, um, there's several places it says, you know, I think of Thessalonians, a classic verse talking about hell. And it says, he's going to punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. There's another place where it talks about obeying the gospel. Here it says, obey the gospel, obey it. How do you obey the gospel? Anyone? A little interactive. thought you raised your hand, Jay. Got to an answer? No. How do you obey the gospel? Believe. Believe. You know, Jesus' first message in the, in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, he says, the time is near. Turn from your sins and believe the good news. The way you apply the gospel is to believe it, to believe that the essence of the gospel of salvation is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again and that he's alive. But, you know, we're called to believe that. And, and yet... Um, you know, the gospel is, is multifaceted. We are to believe the gospel for salvation. You know, um, this verse here, some of you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you've been saved. The gracious work of Jesus, you've been saved through faith, not by works. It's a gift of God uh, so that no one can boast. But we receive the work that Jesus did on the cross by faith. His gracious work we receive by faith. But you know what? They had already received the message. They were already born again. Why would Jesus say, well, you know, do that again, get saved again. Is that what you think he was saying? You know, I don't. I think there's another facet of grace as well. The facet of the gospel is that the gospel, the gracious work of Jesus Christ is not only for our salvation, but it's for our life. It, it's to live. You know, there's a, a classic verse I love on this is from um, Colossians 2, uh, two six, And it just says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. The Living Bible says this, now just as you trusted Christ to save you, 
Trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. And, and men and women, I think, um, I think the lesson for us here, the thing I want us to, to come away with is that to, to wake up from sleepwalking, wherever that's going on in our lives, um, we need to get back to the gospel. We need to be revived by the gracious work of Jesus Christ. One, that he did die on the cross for our sins. He worked out our salvation. He took the punishment you and I deserve. He gave us his righteousness. But, but guys, the grace of Jesus Christ does not stop there. And I'm afraid as a church, sometimes we've come to this doctrine of like, you, we just go back to the cross and we just go back to what Jesus did. And um, in some ways, I'm afraid it, it, you know, a couple analogies I think of here, but uh, I think of a religion some of you know that uh, some of you might have even been brought up in, but they have a cross in their religion. And, and what's always on the cross of a certain religion that prays to Mary and things like that? Um, what's always on the cross that they have known as the crucifix? It's a picture of Jesus, a picture of Jesus dead on the cross. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what they have for their cross. But, you know, the reality is, as, as Christians, we know that Jesus is no longer dead on the cross. Jesus is no longer dead in the tomb. Jesus rose, and he's alive, and he can come into your life, not only for forgiveness, but to live a supernatural life in this naturally sleepy and unholy world. He can live a holy life uh, through us. And, and I think sometimes we, even though we wouldn't agree with the theology of this other religion, sometimes I think we go back to, you know, I remember what Jesus did on the cross. And that's so cool what he did on the cross. And, and he rose and he went to heaven. And someday I'm probably going to see him again. And I'm so glad the facts of that are true and that he died for my sins. And you know what? He doesn't want to have that sort of relationship with you and I. It kind of reminds me of someone, uh, imagine if you're a married person here, or, or if you're not, imagine that the highlight of your whole world was that wedding day. You always go back to the wedding day. It was a perfect wedding day. The, the ceremony went off uh, without a hitch, and it was just a glorious celebration. And, and the only problem is you, you just always go back to the wedding day and your relationship right now with your spouse is terrible. It's non-existent. Maybe it's lifeless. Maybe it's like you're sleepwalking. But you sure do celebrate that wedding day. Some ways, when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and the grace of what he did on the cross, um, it's just to be the beginning of that loving relationship. And we're supposed to have him not only what he did, we're not only supposed to celebrate what he did on the cross, but what he does today. He's alive. He wants to be supernaturally active in this world. He wants to be supernaturally active in your life, in your life, in all of our lives. And, and sometimes I'm afraid we're, we're just asleep going, you know, at least he died for me and I'm going to heaven. At least that's a glorious work he did there. And it is a glorious work. But guys, he's not done. Jesus is alive. He wants to operate in and through our lives. And um, unfortunately, those in Sardis missed it. And, and, you know, Sardis reminds me of modern-day Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, just this world of sin and loose living and apathy. But, you know, in some ways, many would say the church in America, as it relates to the rest of the world, the church in America is kind of that same way. Loose living and uh, full of the world's wealth, and, but not living for eternity. Um, and, and so I think we just have to watch for this and be revived by the gospel. The gospel, we need to be thinking about the gospel of grace for salvation, and the gospel of grace for living the Christian life. There's no better way to live the Christian life than Jesus Christ living it in and through us here. And we've got to be revived by it. I think it reminds me of uh, a smelling salt. Any of you ever had a interactions with a smelling salt before? 
Smelling salts, anyone? I remember back in junior high, a kid brought smelling salts, and uh, <clears throat> his dad was the local mortician or whatever, and so uh, he, you know, he brought them, and we were like, oh, you know, let's smell that, and you smell that, and it's like, whoo, it's a, an ammonia-based, ammonia-based salt that lights up your, you know, it's like wasabi times 100, and it's just, a, you know, it wakes you up, but I, I think that's the need of the hour, guys, that we get woken up to, to the gracious work of Jesus Christ for salvation. If you haven't believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it's time to place your trust in the work that he did on the cross. And if you have, like the church in Sardis, it's time to place your trust in the Jesus who still works today, who still wants to do radiant things in and through your lives in a world that's, that's soiled here. You know, it's what he says. And, um, you know, he just goes on to say, if you don't, I'm going to come back like a thief. I think uh, some would say that's come back and discipline us. Some would say that's the second coming of Christ. He'd return, and it's going to be a done deal. And there's opportunities that would be taken away from us, opportunities to witness, opportunities to invest in eternity. By God's grace, though, we can finish the mission that he gave us to do. Um, I love this here. It says there's a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. You know, um, Uh, The Message Bible says there's a few who haven't ruined themselves wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. You know, all the other churches that we've talked about this far, there there was a few that were doing wrong. But in general, things were going good. Sardis, he said, hey, there's only a few in your midst that that got this right. There's only a few that are going unsoiled. Any of you know what soiled kind of means? You know, I think about some different work. I think about Zach's work here, landscaping. You know, if he got his clothes soiled, they would be like actually soil, you know. But uh, parents, if a, if a child soils their diaper, what does that mean? It's not like the soil that Zach works with. Um, it's different. But, you know, Jesus has kind of said, hey, guys, you're living this soiled life, soiled by this world and, and what makes, brings pleasure in this world and what brings praise in this world. And there's many of you that are soiled, but there's a few that are unsoiled. And, and I think those living by the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, we're the ones that were living unsoiled, and we want to live unsoiled in this uh, dirty and you know, morally decaying world. And that's what they did. You know, the last things here, we just close with this last part. He says, those who overcome, you know, again, overcoming is relating to those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are living by faith in Jesus Christ and his grace now. It says that uh, they'll be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. You know, dressed in white, that's dressed and clothed in the character of Jesus Christ and Christ-like living. Um, You could be confidently assured you're going to heaven if you've placed your trust in Christ. You know, this one says, I'll never blot out your name. Some will go, well, does that mean my name could be blotted out? Well, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, by the way, if you've trusted in me, your name will never be blotted out. You don't ever have to worry about that. You can be confident Then he says, uh, I love this, he said he will acknowledge your name before the Father and his holy angels. If we're living by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, for salvation and for life, he says, hey, I'm not going to be ashamed to proclaim your name to my Father. In some ways, if you're proclaiming the name of Jesus here, you know, in some ways, baptism is a picture of that. It's it's a way you publicly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. But when you share the gospel, you're you're proclaiming the name of Jesus and what he's done on the cross and what he will do for you now to live a supernatural life. But if you're proclaiming his name now, guess what? There's going to be a time where, you know, he's like, oh, you know, keep doing your job of proclaiming my name. No, he's going to say, you know what? Now it's my turn to proclaim your name to my father. 
And, and he, he introduced you and introduced you to the Father of Heaven and all the holy angels. And I don't know, maybe there'll be a round of applause or something. But those who are living by the grace of Jesus Christ, these are some things that are that are promised to you and I. And um, again, I think we need to be revived. Take a look at this grace, not only for salvation, um, but for true life. And and. Join me in just praying and seeking God related to that this week. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we will get on with um, honoring our moms here as well. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you did graciously die on the cross, and you took the punishment that I deserved and that we deserved, and in exchange you gave us righteousness, um, that we would be justified without sin because uh, you credit that to us. But, but Lord, I pray you'd help us to not only look back on what you did on the cross, but look to you and trust you for, for the things we need today, for living a holy life in an unholy world. Lord, help us with that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live a, a supernatural life in a world that is just naturally set against you and um, full of muck. And God, help us to to live lives that are unsoiled, lives that are radiant for you. Help us to proclaim your name. Help us to carry out this mission. We need your grace. Lord, revive us, I pray. Revive me by the, the gospel of grace. We pray all of this this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.